This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. I have Dr. Mark Chavez with me. In 2004, he earned his MD degree from the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. In 2008, he completed his residency training at Stony Brook University Hospital in Long Island, New York. We connected over LinkedIn and I read his book, The Five Habits of Healthy People. His story really resonated with me. So I decided to bring him on to share his story. He has also created a very cool device and I'm very excited to learn more about it. It's a resistance ball. We'll talk about that a little later in the episode. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So talk to me about your journey, Mark. How did Your weight really become an issue. You had mentioned in your book, you know, you had gained significant amount of weight. So talk to me about that. Well, it's kind of an interesting story because I really never had a weight problem growing up. A lot of people, it's something that they've had since they were young. I grew up in a household. My father was a bodybuilder and he watched his weight. He had a very low percent body weight and I wasn't to that degree, but I kept pretty fit, just kind of modeling what he did, and I would watch him exercise. And so, really, the problem hit when I started medical school. As a <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true for so many doctors. <laughs> it is. Like, I've never had a weight problem, and then all of a sudden, you're studying all the time, and you're eating kind of whatever, and it's kind of insidious. A couple of years later, I gained 20 pounds. Wow. And then by the time I graduated medical school, I had gained 40 pounds, very similar to... Oh my to, God, yeah. Yeah. Then residency, it doesn't get any better. Oh my God, yeah. So that just kind of persisted throughout residency. And seven, eight years later, here I am, 60, 70 pounds more than when I started this whole medical school journey. Wow, wow, yeah. What do you think in mean, all of this really caused your weight gain, so to say? Was it just the hectic lifestyle or... What exactly caused it? I think the biggest contributor to my weight gain, to be honest with you, is the sleep cycles that really mess up your sleep patterns when you're in training and medical school. Because that's kind of the basis for everything. And once your sleep cycles are not right, then everything else becomes not right in terms of your eating, in terms of your metabolism, in terms of even your mood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's not really about the food initially. It's about sleep, which causes these other downward effects. Right, right, right. So, Mark, what really made you realize that it was time to change what you were doing? I was in the middle of a busy ER shift. I'm in emergency medicine, board-certified emergency medicine. And at the time, I was working at a very busy trauma center a lot of viewers might be familiar with it in Los Angeles. It's Watts, a very dangerous knife and gun area gangsters. So we get a lot of trauma, and that's okay. 
it gets a little bit tiring and you get a little bit exhausted. But to me, as an emergency medicine physician, the worst thing that can happen is when you lose kids. And this particular week, I was very stressed out, hadn't been sleeping, and I lost two kids that week on two different days. It was a Monday mm -hmm. and Wednesday. One of the kids was eight years old, the other was nine. One was a boy, one was a girl. And there was really nothing that could have been done. By the time they had got to the emergency room, one of them had a congenital heart disease problem, which hadn't been diagnosed. And so they went into a fatal arrhythmia and we couldn't get them back because of their condition, their heart condition, really. The other one had disseminated meningococcus. Oh, wow. Yeah, and if you've ever seen that, by the time they get to you and their fever is 105 and they're purple all over and they're floppy, very few of them survive. And if they do, they lose most of their limbs. This particular child did not survive. So that just threw me off. In the middle of the shift, I just decided... I've had enough of this. I'm going to quit. And I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to take some time off and work on myself. Right. Because residency is one thing, but emergency medicine also, the shifts are all over the place. One day you're doing nights, one day you're doing days. And, you know, the shifts are very weird. They are. And I, kudos to the emergency docs because they're really, some shifts started like 2 a.m. in the morning, some shifts started like 11 p.m. It's so weird. To me, it doesn't make sense. I'm sure it makes perfect sense to you as an easy ED doc. But yeah, I agree. You know, all of this can really throw you off in terms of your circadian rhythm, sleep-wake cycle, your food cycle, so to say, what you're eating, Correct. when you're eating. And, you know, in the middle of the night, when you're doing a night shift, you don't have a lot of options available anyway if you're hungry. So it's not like you can go out and have something healthy. But even though you can bring something, you may not necessarily even want to have something that is particularly healthy for you. So yeah, and then circadian rhythm definitely plays a very big role in your overall health and also in obesity. So when you quit, what happened after that? How did you end up losing your 60, 70 pounds that you had gained? Well, my objective by quitting was to work on one thing and that was on my health. I wasn't concerned about where I was going to get my next paycheck or anything. So I really just started focusing on my health and I kind of knew what to do because I'd grown up with my father who was a bodybuilder. I didn't particularly like bodybuilding though. Like that's not my thing, sure. going into a, a gym and using weights. So what I did is I bought a, I bought a medicine ball and I started doing body weight exercises at home. And I lived in a very small apartment at the time. So I didn't have a lot of space and Using the medicine ball, I found was it was fun and it was pretty effective, but it was just too limited in what it could do. And then I basically started running out of money because I was living on savings at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so a funny thing is I found a job working as a family medicine doctor. <laughs> oh, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, which was completely 180 degree turnaround from emergency medicine. And, and it was funny because when I went to the interview, I was talking to the owner of the practice and she's like, but you're emergency medicine. Why do you want to work here? <laughs> I said, well, I want to try it. I think it might be fun. And I kind of miss the continuity of care that emergency medicine right. doesn't. And she's like, well, okay, let's give it a shot. And so I ended up doing that for about three years. And that's really kind of one of the key elements that helped me put the product together because that combined with my own health. And then around the same time, my father had a surgery, 
when he woke up from that surgery, he was unable to open his hands or to oh. grip anything. And I think that was a function of damaging his median nerve. I, oh, wow. I don't know if it was the anesthesia or they were trying to put in a line and they damaged his nerve, but it was both hands. It wasn't one hand. Oh, my God. So then seeing the patients and then seeing my dad, I realized a lot of the patients I was seeing, they had the same problem with grip strength. They just couldn't lift weights. They couldn't hold things. They had arthritis. They had strokes for whatever reason. But because I grew up knowing the importance of doing strength exercise and what's called resistance training, I was realizing that these people's bodies were just falling apart because they couldn't right. do anything to maintain their muscle mass. That's true. And so I thought, wow, this would be great if I could create a product that would allow people to exercise but didn't require them to have to grip the weight itself. So I started making prototypes of the gravity ball, which started out as a medicine ball and turned into the gravity ball. The listeners can think of the gravity ball as, if you know what a Swiss Army knife is, think of a medicine ball, but think of it as a Swiss Army medicine ball. So straps pull out of it, different loops attached to it. You can attach different bands and different straps, different accessories. So that it basically allows the person to do hundreds of exercises and many of those which don't require needing to grip the exercise or grip the That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Even the elderly, a lot of times they lose their strength, the grip. And a lot of the resistance activities that we need to do, resistance exercises, they require you to grip the equipment that you require to do the resistance training. This is correct. Yeah, so that's interesting that, you know, the resistance ball. I haven't tried it. I'm very fascinated by what you've created. It's very interesting. And then it doesn't require a lot of space, right? Because it's just a ball that you're just storing somewhere. Yeah, it's about the size of a volleyball. So it's a seven-inch okay. diameter. Volleyball is about seven-inch. We also came out just recently with a new version. So we're developing our product line. We now have a four-inch and a five-inch. So four inches is about the size of a baseball five inches about the size of a softball. So those have applications in physical therapy, in mm. sports medicine. A lot of people can't use a lot of weight. Right. And even five, seven, ten pounds to a lot of people is very heavy. So we want to be able to serve the populations that require very low weight and then all the way up to sort of athletes. Right, right. So how did you actually end up losing the weight? Did you change your diet? Did you do what did you do? Well, first of all, I got my sleep in order. <laughs> <laughs> I got my sleep cycle back to where like you're actually sleeping at night and awake during the day. And, then, and by the way, it does not make sense to me how they schedule emergency medicine shifts, <laughs> <laughs> even though I'm in the profession. So the sleep was important. Secondly, I started doing resistance exercise every single day. And this is something a lot of people don't hear. If you look up the guidelines, and most guidelines will say two to three times a week at a sort of moderate level, which to me right. doesn't mean anything. One thing being a doctor I've realized is you have to be very, very specific when you're giving instructions to help people. Saying exercise more and eating better is very useless. So... I say, you need to do 30 minutes. These are the exercises you do, and you need to do it every day. And so it's controversial, right? Because people say, well, don't you need rest in between the days you're exercising? And 
my response to that is, yeah, if you're a powerlifter or a crossfitter or a professional athlete, you do. But we're talking about our grandmothers and our sisters and our moms and the type of exercise they're going to be doing every day. They don't need two or three days off in between. It's much more important for them to do it every day consistently. Right. And what I've found in terms of habit formation, it's just easier to make it something you don't have to think about. So if you know you're going to have to do something every day, like brush your teeth, drink water, (laughs) (laughs) you don't think about that. So I have that same sort of concept when I'm teaching people about exercise. So how much of the weight did you lose actually? Yeah, I lost it all. I lost 65 pounds. Um, So I was at 140 and I got up to 205 at my highest point. How long have you kept it off for now? That was in 2012. So it's been almost 10 years. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been the same basically recipe the whole time. I do 30 minutes of resistance exercise using the gravity ball Mm -hmm. every day. And then I have a ring, which people can't see, but a ring that's an activity tracker. So it tracks my steps, my calories, my sleep, all of that. And I have a step count goal that I meet every day. So that's kind of the cardio part. And then I do some cardio as well. Nothing hardcore. And then I have, as the book describes, 80-20 eating, which means 80% of the time I try to eat something that is healthy for you. And then the other 20%, just whatever I want to eat. One thing I found, and I'd be interested to hear if this is your experience as well, is when you tell people not to do something or not to eat something, that's exactly what they do. (laughs) (laughs) They go out and do that thing that you told them not to do, and they go out and eat the thing you told them not to eat. So I never tell people not to do things. I tell them, try to shift the percentages, the ratios of how much you're eating it and how often you're doing those things that you know are not that good for you. Yeah, I think it's a transition that has to happen. It cannot be a change that happens all of a sudden. It has to be a gradual transition into a new lifestyle. And, you know, I've we've had so many guests on my podcast. And every time, you know, what we discuss is that it's supposed to be a lifestyle change. That's a long-term sustainable change uh, that you can maintain. And it can be any type of diet as long as it's something that is sustainable. So you have to not take drastic steps but something that you will enjoy doing over the long haul. Exactly. Not only enjoy, but it's easy to do. Right. Well, it gets easier with time once you start doing it. Once you've done it enough number of times, Yes, I think it gets easier. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but one of the things I found that's actually one of the biggest challenges is the person that you are working with may be highly motivated, but then they go into an environment where nobody is motivated, like their right. household like their other family members. And so that's a very difficult situation. Right. Now, did you have any struggles in your weight loss? A lot of times people have ups and downs and a lot of times they get despondent and then they just quit. Did you have any moments when you were like, I'm ready to quit right now? With the weight loss? (laughs) Yeah. I actually didn't because I felt so much better. And the lapses I had were so short and temporary because I would immediately feel terrible after a couple of days of not doing what I usually do that I would just not want to feel like that anymore. <laughs> so I would right. just go right back to knowing what worked to make me feel the best that I felt. Right. So 
before you developed your resistance ball, and you know everybody doesn't have a resistance ball at home, which is going to be amazing if people can get it. But before you started, what really did you start with? Did you just join a gym or you'd mentioned that you don't enjoy going to the gym or were you just working out with something else at home? I was doing mostly body weight stuff, so push-ups, sit-ups, you know, jumping jacks, that kind of thing. My main thing is I like to run. So okay. I would just go out and run pretty much every day. Even during medical school, I ran, even though I was heavy, I still ran. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I just didn't run as much. <laughs> A lot of people don't like to run. So, you yeah. know, I don't tell people what they should do. I just ask that they find something they like to do and stick with it. Right, right. Yeah, you know, we talk about actually exercise prescription. And one of the parts of exercise prescription is enjoyment. So people have to find activities that they'll enjoy doing rather than forcing themselves to do certain activities. And that's really the key because you have to have a sustained effort. That's right. So you have to enjoy what you're doing. That's right. And one of the things I've found also is people try to do too many things at once meaning they try to change their diet, they try to change their exercise routine, they try to change their sleep routine, all in one shot. And so I recommend starting with one and then conquering that and then moving to the next one and then the next one. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's right. So people sitting at home who want to start exercising and they haven't exercised for a while, what is your advice to them? My advice is very simple. Do it every day. Depending on what your level of fitness and conditioning is at this time, then it doesn't matter what you do, but do it every day. People hear this number of 10,000 steps a day. That has really no backing in anything. It's just an easy number to remember. Right. But if you don't think a good rule of thumb, 2,000 steps is about one mile. Right. Okay. So if you want to walk 5,000 steps a day, then that's a good place to start. And then do that every day. And make it at the same time every day. Because even no matter what you're doing, your body will just say, stop and be like, oh, I need to be doing this right now at this time. And then incorporate, in addition to the steps you're doing, some resistance exercise. You can look into a lot of different programs. If you want to buy a medicine ball and start with that, that's something that I did. But again, use time. Do 30 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes of resistance exercise every day is a good starting point. And then you can work your way up to 30. You know, some of these people in the gym spend two or three hours in the gym. I do not recommend that at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's a long time. I actually used to do that at one point in time, but it's really not sustainable over the long haul. And it's interesting you mentioned about the 10,000 steps or the 2,000 steps or whatever. I actually did an episode. So listeners, if you want to listen to that episode, that's episode number 32. You can listen to that and that's all about 10,000 steps. And then I also created a cheat sheet for my listeners, which they can get at www.decodingobesity.com forward slash 10,000 steps. 10,000 is in numerics followed by steps in words in alphabets. So you can get that cheat sheet to help you get started with the 10,000 steps. And it's really about getting yourself started and doing something instead of doing nothing. Correct. That's really what it is. It's not the end goal, but it's something that you can start with. And it's something that seems very tangible and something that you can really achieve easily. Yeah. I mean, it's called a tiny habit. And 
Right. You know, there's a lot of books that's been written about this of center of excellence at Stanford University. It talks about tiny <laughs> habits, but it's really about just forming tiny habits and building upon those. Right, right, right. So, Mark, I'm really interested in knowing more about, you know, this resistance ball that you've created. You were mentioning that you can hang hooks onto it and you can hang loops onto it. So what really happens? How Does it have a lot of holes in it where you can just put in stuff or and how does it really work? Can you explain it to us? Yeah, I mean, pictures are worth a thousand words and a video is worth a thousand pictures. But just real quickly, imagine a, a volleyball that has four holes in it. And those four holes, you can clip straps to it or resistance bands to it. Now, the ball itself also has Velcro handles, kind of like a seatbelt you put on. Right. But those seatbelt, those Velcro handles go across the back of your hand so that mm. the palm of your hand is resting against the ball and the strap is pushing your hand firmly against the ball. Okay. Almost like a basketball player can palm a basketball with one hand. Got it. And it just velcroed around. Yes. So then now you're not concerned about holding the actual weight. Your concern is going through the different movements on the body parts that you're concerned about working on. And so that has a lot of implications because it's a much natural movement when you're not have a closed hand constantly holding a weight. So an open hand moves a lot more freer and has a lot greater range of motion in all uh, planes. The second thing is it's a lot safer. So I would not want my grandmother to hold a still kettlebell or a still dumbbell, but I would feel very safe strapping in a gravity ball, which I know that it's firmly attached to her hand that she cannot drop onto herself. So yeah, I think it seems like a great product because once you take that grip out of it, out of the equation, it really frees you up in terms of what exercises you can do and you're not fearful of dropping that weight, that heavy weight onto yourself or you're not going into those weird positions just trying to manage yourself to grip strong enough so that you don't drop it. That's correct. And think of the other implications. If you're a physical therapist or sports medicine, one of your main concerns is the safety of your patients. So a lot of these practitioners are very reluctant to use these weights, these sort of standard classical weights, because of fear that their patients could hurt themselves in the case that they can drop the weight or something. So the point is, a lot of these practitioners and physical therapists don't have the right tool for the job. And so we're very excited that this is going to help a lot of people and a lot of therapists to get better outcomes for their patients. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Let's talk about your book. How did that come about? The Five Habits of Healthy People. So that I'm all about having frameworks to sort of live by as opposed to just drifting around. I like blueprints. I always tell people medical school is so much easier than entrepreneurship. <laughs> and that's because it's laid out for you step by step. There's right. no guesswork. You know, you do this and then you do this and this. In entrepreneurial world, there's nothing. You're creating something out of nothing, and there's really no blueprint there to help you. So the book was a way to give people a blueprint of how to live a healthy, long life without complicated prescriptions and medications and having to go to gyms and workout classes. So the five habits of healthy people are five habits that if you follow – those five habits will 
allow you to live a long and healthy life in a very simple and easy way to understand that your grandmother can do, that I can do, that an elite athlete could do, the applicable to anyone. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I read the book. It's very interesting. I encourage all my listeners to go ahead and read that. It's available on Amazon, so they can buy it off of Amazon. Listeners, I have many more exciting episodes for you in the future. I would really appreciate if you could just spend a few minutes to write a comment or leave a review. Let me know if there are any specific topics that you want me to cover. You can also write to me at host at decodingobesity.com. If you're finding this podcast valuable, please share it with whoever you think will find it useful. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I'll see you all next time. And Mark, I'm going to leave the links for your website, for your social media links, and for your book on my website as well, so that people who visit my website can get it from there. Perfect. And the last thing I would just like to say is, your listeners want to follow us. We are on Instagram at the Gravity Ball Method. And my personal Instagram is at the Health MD. Thank you so much, Mark. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.